Welcome to 50 Date Night Screams. I'm Amber Tresca. And I'm Mike Tresca. We're a married couple who decide to celebrate our 50th birthdays by watching some old movies. A lot of old movies. Join us as we watch 50 movies on our date nights and have fun dissecting them. As a bonus, each episode is accompanied by an original character I created and designed for use in your tabletop role-playing games. Many of the movies we watch are unrated, but this podcast is not. 50 Date Night Screams contains mature themes and is intended for adult audiences, so take care when listening. Plus, there are spoilers. Check the show notes to see where you can watch this movie before you listen. We're glad you're here. Have a seat, grab a glass of your favorite beverage, and get ready to scream along with us. That's real fine music, isn't it? Yes, I like it. You mind if I buy you a drink? No, thank you. I'd like to. No, thank you. Hello, and welcome to episode seven of 50 Date Night Screams. Today, we're going to be reviewing Night Tide, and I have with me my co-host, Mike. Hey, Mike. Hi, Amber. What's going on? Oh, we're going to talk about night and tides. I'm looking forward to it. Not so much tides, maybe some night. I'm not really too sure that either one of those things is represented very accurately or prominently in this movie, but uh, we will get to that. So let's start with our stats. This movie is from 1961. The director is Curtis Harrington. I guess he also wrote the movie. I'd say you don't say he also wrote it and directed it. There's yeah. no evidence of that in this film. Shocker. Um, so, and this movie has 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb. Why? <laughs> what the hell? It's the highest rating we've had so far. No, I reject that rating. Okay. Well, anyway, it is unrated. It is an hour and 26 minutes and the first thing that we have to go through is the notable actor mr dennis hopper who stars in this movie as johnny drake johnny drake and dennis hopper of course is also known for movies such as blue velvet and Waterworld, and many 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 other film and tv credits wait i water is that like a sequel to night tide you think <laughs> is it johnny drake all grown up and just being terrible that somehow makes this all worth it if that's you know i'm what? gonna pretend you that's know true what? um I, i'm gonna confess kind of a water world fan at least i was i haven't watched it in many years but there was a while there where it was kind of like the dvd it was like the comfort movie i put it in and we liked it a lot and people would trash it oh people hated it. Yeah. people people hated it i mean like yeah. i understand why and it cost a lot of money and that was such a big thing at the time but i don't know i really did something about it i really i really just enjoyed and uh, i mean dennis hopper certainly um you know chewed up the scenery in that movie so i don't know i'm gonna watch that again i'm gonna watch yeah, water world again you shouldn't watch it again and 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 have a thought about that because that is and interesting that would make things a little more worthwhile. I think we should just decide it is and then we'll make everything more okay well you know what it's our show we can decide yes. whatever the fuck we want all <laughs> that's right. good so okay all right the summary you ready for the summary this is a good one I haven't read this before so this is the first Can't time wait. reading Can't it for wait. the first time all right here we go 
A young man visiting a seaside town falls for a pretty girl performing in a local carnival act as a mermaid. The young woman has had her troubles in the past with suitors, leading some people to warn the young man. The young woman believes herself to be descended from a race of ancient mermaids and is forced to kill during a full moon. But things may not be as they seem. I made that last sentence sound like two sentences. It was actually one sentence. So another fantastic. I, I love that was like the 1950s description of the film, which it, it gives it has 1950s vibes. I mean, it's 1961, right? But uh, suitors, huh? Yeah, suitors. And is she a girl or is she a young woman? What is she? Let's, you know, anyway. She's a siren. <laughs> which also a siren is not a mermaid. Is not no. a siren. Somebody's very confused about their mythology. Different but... things. Yeah. And I also have to point out that this movie, even though it was filmed in 1961, full on in the era of color movies. It is black and white. I don't think I ever found an explanation for that. So there you have it. Anyway, um, how would you like to describe this movie poster? There's a few of them. This one is actually, it's pretty cool. But what's going on in this poster is pretty wild. Well, the poster that I looked at um, actually is, I, I don't know, it's pretty interesting. It's a picture of a woman with her tentacles slash hair grabbing a person and then presumably Johnny Drake and a, uh, a mermaid in a glass case. And that is technically probably the most accurate description of the entire film on, on a poster. So I... As always, I love the poster more than I love the film. Um, but I, the, this octopus thing is like a big deal, and it's really overstated in the than it actually is in the film, in my opinion. Yeah, I really do love this poster. It is purple and yellow, and it really is really striking. Like I like it a lot. It does have like the movie logo in like black and white in like a square, which is an odd choice. Kind of ruins it a little bit. I feel like. I almost want to doctor it. I almost want to take that out of it um, to make it great. And, you know, Dennis Hopper's name is bigger than everyone else's. And, yeah, it's it's a really great poster. I mean, I'd be like, oh, what's that movie? You know, and the, and the tagline in the poster is, was she human? Dot, dot, dot. Or ellipses. And another tagline from a different poster that will be my choice for the hilarious tagline for this movie is... Temptress from the sea, dot, 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 loving, dot, 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 killing. So great writing. What's really fascinating about this, um, there's so many things that are fascinating and, and aggravating at the same time, but the fact that she's supposed to be a temptress and the loving is really overstated. Like she is pursued aggressively by Johnny Drake. Um, and I don't think she did anything. I mean, literally... She's just sort of is there and he gets really obsessed with her. So it's very interesting how they make her out to be a temptress. Like she lured him into some kind of relationship when it's really on him for everything that happens. Yeah. All right. Let's get all up in the fucking grill of this situation. Because <laughs> what happens is, is the movie starts out. You got this um, sailor. He's wandering around the seaside town. He's just like looking for a party or whatever. And he ends up in a jazz club. He sees Mora. So Mora's sitting there, minding her own fucking business, having a drink, listening to the band. And he comes over and he's like, hey, can I sit with you? Hey, can I pay for your drink? Blah, 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 blah. And 
she sees something that upsets her and decides that she wants to leave. So she bugs out of there. She's walking home and he's following her. And then he's all like, hey, can I, you know, see you again? Hey, can I come upstairs right now? Hey, whatever. Like, like legit will not leave her alone. And she is just a woman out having a drink by herself. It really is annoying. And what's even more annoying about it is that it works. She's like, sure, come back in the morning and we'll have breakfast. And by the way, she's very emotionless about this whole thing. She's like, yeah, I don't think so. I don't really want to talk right now. I don't really want to do this. I don't really want you here. I'm going to go upstairs right now. And he's like, can I come tomorrow? She's fine. Like, she's fine. Like, okay, fine. Come over tomorrow. We'll have breakfast. You know, it's weird. Well, and a few things happen during that jazz scene. First of all, it's a flute jazz band and flutes are a big part of the music. So I, I don't know. Somebody was doing triple duty for both the soundtrack and that band um, which is unusual unto itself, which is fine. I, that's part of the theme. The second thing is he very much zeroes in on her, and she's really like, you know what? I'm just trying to watch the music. So, like, she starts out pretty, like, tamely, just being like, you know what, buddy? I'm not here to talk to you. And he goes on full creepo, like, files her out at an, a, a lone woman at night out at a bar, and he basically stalks her, walks, quote, under the pretense of walking her to her Home. No, he's no, he's just following her. And he's that's, just following no. her. No. The other thing that happens though that's important is there's a an encounter I think with the sea witch, which we we don't know what her name. I think she's called Water Witch in the in the dialogue. And her this other character is important because we really how much you believe in the sea witch. I believe just for the record, um, how much you believe in the sea witch essentially determines whether this is sort of a mystical horror film or a whodunit. And she talks to her or somehow is there i don't know if they make icon and then that freaks her out that's she one wanders of the in. This, this older woman wanders into the bar mora doesn't like it and she and she bugs out right that's what happens right. and that's when johnny decides to follow her right and by the way not reading the room i mean the woman was visible and he's just like ah i don't care she's maybe having a bad day but i'm a sailor <laughs> off on shore leave and damn it this first woman i saw near as we could tell is going to be the one I'm going to pursue. Well, the first woman by herself that he saw. There was yes. plenty of other women. They were all coupled up, whatever. That's you know, right. And he was just out looking for something. Yeah. So every woman alive will be like, yep, I've been in a bar, mine or wherever, minding my own business, and along comes some dude and wants to talk to me, and you say, no, thank you, and you have to say it politely. And this was like, so from the very beginning, I'm screaming at the at the TV. At this movie. Everybody has their Johnny Drake, and this was a Johnny Drake moment. For There will be more, but this is the beginning of the Johnny Drake moments. Here's the other thing about just about the filming of the movie with uh, the Dennis Hopper, okay? Who doesn't know the name, right? His acting in this movie is like, what? Like, there's, there, like, <laughs> there's like no acting here. It's, it's really wild, like, how bad it is. I mean, how, how bad... Everyone is from beginning to end in this movie. There's just no, and you could say, well, that's usually on like the director, you know, the director obviously told them to do certain things or not do certain things. So you could look at it that way. But everyone was, was just very flat. Except for Captain Samuel Murdoch, the most British sailor this side of the States. (laughs) But everybody else. (laughs) Was very asleep, except for the Carnival Barker-esque 
slash stepdad slash possible I don't even know what he was doing with Mora uh character. But um everybody else was pretty much including the normally scenery chewing babe scenery chewing baby Dennis Hopper, um pretty pretty just sleepwalking through this. Yeah. So as the plot goes on, we find out that, that Mora has a job uh being a mermaid in the carnival sideshow. Johnny comes over for breakfast the next morning. She explains this all to him, and then he walks her to work. He skulks around. He meets other people that work there. And come to find out, the man that she works for apparently found her on some island when he was a sailor, I'm guessing, and brought her back to the States and has been her her father, her ward, her guardian ever since. So that's their relationship. She lives on her own. She works as a mermaid. She, like, gets in a tank, puts on a fake tail or whatever, and I think maybe also, like, a long wig, something like that. And then people pay, what, like, 10 cents, I think they said, to see her, 5 cents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Something like that. So that's her job. That's his job. (laughs) That's what they they do for a living. And And that's what that is. And so the courtship goes on. You know, there's there's more weirdness. And then Johnny finds out from some of the other people that work at the carnival that Mora may be involved in the deaths of two other men. Yeah, and there's a police officer shows up, sort of just randomly walks into the scene. And there's a weird dialogue of any news yet? Nope, no news. And he walks off the scene, and that, of course, causes Johnny Drake to be like, what's going on? And that's where he gets a little bit of more background info from a semi-colorful cast of characters, including a fortune teller. And uh, what is, I I can only assume, I don't know what she does, but I guess she's the daughter of the merry-go-round operator. I'm not sure who exactly what she does. And uh, let's see, that's, is that... Eileen? No, Ellen. Ellen. That's Ellen. So Ellen is sort of ready to just spill the tea, literally and figuratively, because she's constantly offering tea. And she's like, did you know that Mora's boyfriend's washed up dead somewhere? And that's why Officer What's-His-Name is skulking around looking for evidence, I guess. And uh, this is weirdly inserted. It's not really a... It's quite a kind of interesting conversation. The the father, the the guy who runs the merry-go-round, is kind of like, well, I guess you can tell him because it's public knowledge. Um, but there's clearly sort of an aura of menace about Mora for this. So maybe this is, for all we know, why she was alone in the club. But whatever the reason, it's sort of implied the only kind of people who are going to go after a relationship with her is someone who does not know this stuff. And, of course, our dupe, Johnny Drake, uh, is perfect for this kind of situation because he's very clearly thrust himself into a relationship he knows nothing about. No, and he doesn't care. So he continues to court her. They're on the beach. Of course, he's a sailor, so he's back and forth, right? He's only coming back on the weekends. You see him getting on and off the bus, et cetera, et cetera. And they're having this sort of whirlwind courtship, and she starts to unravel a little bit. She's having nightmares, and she, you know she's in distress. Johnny, to his credit, tries to figure it out. He never says to anybody, oh, well, she can't be involved in something like that. But he, he does try to figure out what's going on with Mora and tries to comfort her. In the beginning, he's very creepy and, and terrible. But he then does sort of turn into, uh, I don't know, 
maybe a halfway decent boyfriend because he believes what she tells him and he's willing to help her figure it out even though she's doing shit like getting up in the middle of the night wandering into the <laughs> wandering into the ocean under the pier you know yeah and there, there's a little bit of tension because he gets competing stories right so he gets uh captain murdoch her guardian's perspective and then he gets her perspective Mora's perspective and Mora's basically like you know the sea calls to me the sirens are calling me home and i think i'm one of them and i you know there's she never really actually i think mentions the the sea witch by name but there's another encounter and that really triggers her uh and then you've got captain murdoch and his colorful we're both sailors so let's talk about sailing stuff and oh by the way this girl i found on an island and yada yada so he definitely plays up sort of his uh finding her and bringing her to civilization and and there's a little bit of things he keeps saying he wants to talk to johnny about but he'll get to it when he gets to it and this turns into a whole long series of tempting dialogues that never necessarily go anywhere until the end because of course what we're holding over here is the final big reveal so captain murdoch is at turns very forthcoming about telling stories and at the same time never tells johnny drake anything yeah for sure it doesn't really give him any concrete information it's just all like it's like he says a lot of words there's a lot of words but nothing really happens um and uh so as the courtship goes on there's a scene that really stands out to me is johnny comes over comes to mora's apartment which looks like it's a pretty big like nice apartment and comes in and is like calling to her and she's like oh i'm in the bath you know And it really kind of cracked me up because he's like, he's so thirsty. Like, he's so thirsty from the beginning of the movie. She's in the bathtub, right? They haven't known each other that long. They haven't been together that much. And he's like, you know, she's like, I'll be out in a minute. He's like, I'm real tired. She's like, oh, well, lay down. And he legit gets like on the couch and lays down and falls asleep. And I'm like, your girl's in the bathtub, like taking a bath naked You've been so thirsty this whole movie. Now you're just going to like sit on the couch and and, like take a nap. It was so funny to me. But that's because he has a nightmare while he's and we have talked we have talked about this. I can can you describe what happens during this nightmare? Because like it is just the weirdest. Well, it all blurs together at some point. There's definitely people straddling him at various points. I don't remember if the sea witch is involved. I know more is involved. But the, the conclusion of that is he ends up smooching an octopus <laughs> there's definitely some <laughs> octopus octoplay i don't know if it's the early play. is it tentacle Hen- play Dude, can we... bit. um but he definitely sort of has this image it where it goes from yeah exactly <laughs> it goes from all right this is amazing to oh god no this octopus this big fake rubbery octopus is uh is attacking me and uh you know it, i guess it's supposed to be symbolic that there's sort of all these tentacles of potential deaths or murders or danger that's sort of lurking around the corner but it just comes off as him sort of wrestling a rubbery octopus when he wakes up and then of course it's it's a dream it's a dream and then he sees wet footprints which leads him through this journey where he sees i guess the sea witch i think and he follows there's some following trail and it leads back to the captain i think again no so, not that time is that one she, that's um, because she's outside mora's oh, outside right. that's right that's right outside. she goes onto the dock right and right, then right. She's, like, she's, out, oh, she's no. outside wandering around in her sleep apparently yeah in her sleep and he's like you know what's what's going on and i'll protect you and whatever you know and that's all that's all nice that's all fine and good 
But it's just, but it's also just very interesting because at that part, nobody is really acting like according to character. Everybody's just, you know, acting oddly, differently than they were in the beginning of the movie. So I guess they're all changing. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the point. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Aren't you going to invite me upstairs for, for a while? I have to go in. Just for a while. Good night, Johnny. So, yeah. So the captain warns Johnny, warns him about the tides, talking about the full moon. I didn't catch it on the first viewing, but on my second viewing, it really made me think a lot about women and menstruation and how they're they're discussing Mora and that she's going to start to get weird around the full moon and that are they talking about her cycle and you know it just it just seemed a duality here that they were saying that not only is she having an issue that she either thinks or that she is a mermaid or that she's a siren. But again, they're two different things. You know, I'm getting very like alicorn unicorn vibes from this whole situation here with this movie. But then they're also talking about her like, oh no, she's got to get her period. So she's going to freak the fuck out. Look out. And that was another interesting aspect to this, this film that they might have been, I don't know whether the director intended it or not, but that is definitely how it came off to me. Well, and you make a good point because, you know, you have on the one side two different men, an older man and a younger man, sort of vying for her affections and trying to get control over her one way or the other. And then you have an older woman on the other side who's luring her to the sea. So there's definitely sort of this masculine-feminine energy battle that seems to be going on between all of those parties and the men seeing this as dangerous, whatever it is, this idea that she's going to go out into the water. But there's lots of ways this can be interpreted. I'm assuming that's partially why people like it so much. One of them is that it, it actually feels a little bit like the retelling of The Little Mermaid, not the Disney version, but the sort of the concept that was, the I think it was Hans Christian Andersen, the idea of a person who sacrifices a lot to be human. So that's sort of the original story of The Little Mermaid is, you know, you know the story if you've seen the cartoon she makes a deal with a sea witch to go on land and she has to sacrifice a lot, be it her voice or there's also in the original story, she goes through a lot of pain when she dances and she has to essentially impress the prince by dancing for him. So there's definitely an implication here, I think, of Mara's sideshow gig being something that's essentially, you know, this is a little bit last unicorn. You know, she has to pretend to be the thing she potentially actually is for people to see her for who she is, which is such a sort of meta layer conversation, right? And I think you there's a little bit of that going on where if you look at this as somewhat of a fairy tale, which, by the way, the film does not apparently want you to look at at the end of this, it, it feels like a retelling of that. And, and the hint is that sea witch phrase. If you call it the water witch, it changes. There has definitely been sources that call her the sea witch, and sea witch is the phrase that's used in Little Mermaid. There is, a, I think, a case to be made that we're retelling in a modern way some fairy tale-esque story, uh, which is a lot about femininity and the sacrifice it does to please men. Right, and taking that femininity and wanting to harness it or suppress it or do something with it except let it be for what it is. So controlling it in some way... And the captain and Johnny talk about that. And one of them 
presumably loves her as a parent and one of them presumably loves her as a lover and the two of them are at odds. On the one hand, it's interesting because I think you usually see the reverse of that where there are two women, a parent figure and then a girlfriend or a lover or a wife figure with a man. So, you know, on the one hand, it's kind of nice to see that flipped here. But on the other hand, they are trying to control her and trying to keep her from who she really is, which we never really find out. (laughs) Um, Because after a little while, everything comes to a head when Johnny and Mora decide to go out scuba diving, Mora says, let's go out. I know this great place. We're going to go scuba diving. And he says, at okay, night, cool. right? It's at night, too, I think, right? It, uh, I'm not sure if it's at night, but they do like go out. They go out in a boat. Once again, I'm impressed with the sets and they're scuba diving. So they're underwater. Like, that's all really cool. And I think about how difficult that must have been to film. Of course, I love how they just have all this equipment. It's very funny to me. Um, I have a boat, I have scuba diving equipment, whatever, but I work as a mermaid, you know. So in their office. This, this is California too, right? So this is a California <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. town. Yeah. So I'm I just assume we don't live in California. I just assume everything's just there. Like there's always scuba equipment five feet away from you I, when you need it. I, I don't know. Could in 1961, could you have like rented it and just or like now they have like the bikes, you know, that <laughs> you could just yeah. you need a bike? Oh, yeah. there's one right there. You can sure. take one. You know? Sure. The scooters. Sure. Okay. So they're out, they go underwater, and they're swimming around, and the soundtrack in, in this part of the movie is so doesn't like reflect what's going on at all. It happens in several parts in the movie. And it, it, it's not like ironically, you know, it's not like a juxtaposition, at least to me, because it's this nice day out at the beach, scuba diving, having a great time with your partner kind of music. And then they're underwater, and then all of a sudden, Mora pulls out a knife and cuts his cuts Johnny's breathing hose, <laughs> you know? And then he panics and goes up to the surface, and she's nowhere to be found. Yeah, the end. The end. You know, and then he's sitting there in the boat, and what's so funny, too, is this, this whole movie, Dennis Hopper has been so wooden, he gets back in the boat. <laughs> it's uh, it's almost comical he's sitting there like crying like weeping and not like sitting there sort of silently upset he's like like whimpering to himself yes. in the boat like huddled in a ball like huddled rocking. in a ball yeah 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 and it's not like he's sort of doing the i'm looking i'm looking for her i'm looking I'm calling he's not doing any of that he's just like sitting there whimpering and doesn't appear to do anything to find her And then the next you see, he's back in town and he's in a hotel room, you know, tossing and turning in bed again. And also, by the way, I noticed this not in his uniform anymore, not in his Navy uniform anymore. He's in street clothes now. His relationship with the Navy is also always an interesting thing because he's you never see any other signs of the Navy other than uh, until the end that he's in uh, his Navy whites. But it is an interesting juxtaposition of that because he's very easy to spot because of it and then suddenly he isn't for all we know that's supposed to be his loss of innocence i don't know and at that point i didn't care anymore i really didn't (laughs) Uh, but it was to your point like he didn't seem he seemed upset but not enough to go look for her call the police go back in the water see if she surfaced 
in fact, what's weird is you don't actually realize right away what happened. Like, I knew she had apparently cut his hose, but I didn't actually understand she had disappeared, right? There was a little bit like, did she swim away and she's off in the distance? Like, he he's just sort of weeping. You're like, is he weeping already? Like, did he look for her for an hour and now he's weeping? You don't know. And it doesn't matter because the movie's not interested in telling us. It wants to move on to the next scene. And that scene is him sort of tossing and turning in the hotel and now looking more like a civilian. Um, and he has to start dealing with the consequences of this disappearance. And I don't know if we had mentioned this. The big thing around Mora is that this temptress thing that she has no, she does not give off any of those vibes. No, not at whatsoever. all. She is not like sexual or sensual. She's also really a boring all, mermaid. Except in his <laughs> dream where she's kissing him. She's in right. a towel and she's kissing him. That's the only part. Other than that, she's just like like very normal, neutral, flat. And she's a boring mermaid too. I just want to point this out. Like she just sits there. She doesn't do it. She lays like a corpse kind of as a mermaid most of the movie. So it's not like she's floating around, brushing her hair. She's laying in this this sort of thing of which is fake water. I also thought it was interesting that she never really explains it and is like, oh, ha ha. Like because she does mention, oh, it's a costume. I do this whole thing. Yeah. But she really... She just does it and, you know, sort of invites him. We don't really see You know, with their 10 cents a day (laughs) salaries that they make. I don't. So it's just a lot of lack of emotion. And then suddenly it's a lot of emotion. But it's really, the the drama is that two of her boyfriends have washed up on the beach dead. Right. And this incident theoretically is the turning point that that was her doing it. Right. So we definitely see Mora cut the hose. So this implies that she murdered those two guys. And this is sort of the implication that was swirling around when Ellen sort of said, you know, she's known for this. So this is sort of his worst fears realized that essentially he was defending her up to this point. Right. She's actually a murderer or at least an attempted murderer. And it's not a huge leap to assume maybe those other two guys were murdered by her when they went out fishing. Right. Or excuse me, uh, scuba diving. Scuba diving. Yeah. Americans have such a simple view of the world. They think that everything can be seen and touched and weighed and measured. You think you've discovered reality, but you don't even know what it is. All right, so he's back in town. We don't see any evidence of him looking for Mora or alerting authorities or even going to the captain. So then he finally goes back to the carnival. And I guess to go and see if she is back working and shows up there, you know, it's a dark and stormy night. So there's not too many people around the carnival. And he goes into the building to see Mora and dun, 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 he finds out that she is there, but she is now unalived. <laughs> I don't know. Is she? Could we tell the difference? She's just laying there and under the thing. She could have been alive and sleeping. Who knows what that job entails? I don't even know if she was dead at first. She's dead. She's in her mermaid costume. She's in the tank or whatever. She's dead. And the captain's there. And the captain has a gun. And now he's yelling at Johnny about how he needed to keep Mora close to him. And he was essentially jealous of, you know, men's interest in her. And so... He did all these things, and so then he starts shooting at Johnny. <laughs> well, I just want to 
She's in her mermaid costume. Did he kill her and then dress her up in the costume that, and then put her yeah, in the tank? I don't, I don't know. That you is a know. lot of work. That's a, that's dedication. I just, you know, she's not, because she's not just dead. Yeah, she's, she's dead in the costume. In the, in the costume. Yeah. <laughs> in the thing, you know. And then there's some... I, I also want to... Were there people coming in paying 20 cents? No, to... <laughs> because, because it was a really bad weather, right? Mm-hmm. So... There was really nobody around, but there were some cops walking along the boardwalk, and they hear the gunshots. But he dressed... Wait, we have to go back to this. He dressed her up and put her in the tank. Yeah. Was he hoping to make another couple of bucks? Okay, Because well, he didn't know Johnny was coming back. Well, I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> it, you know, he was charging 10 cents, I think. Maybe he could charge 20. It was a dead I, mermaid. I, <laughs> I don't... Like, I don't know. Or maybe maybe only five. Like, is she worth more or less? I have no idea. Aren't there... Are, I, there's kids at one point that get ushered out of there that were watching them. I don't know if that they're there at that point because I'd stopped paying. I may have fallen asleep in and out of there. No, it's so. just like, yeah, there's really nobody around. If there was anybody in there, I don't think they noticed what was going on because no, she was which just, just laying in the tank. Speaks to her amazing mermaid performance. Right, but right, yes, right, yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah, and so during that, by the way, the conflict, there's the gunshot, as you mentioned. But there's also like he spills the tank, right? So like the whole full on like there's like a, I don't know what happens. The tank falls explodes i don't know either well there was gunshots there's some like in the soundtrack there's like some screaming so who's screaming is somebody on one of the rides screaming was that mora screaming like we don't we don't really know what went on in inside because we don't see we just see the cops outside they hear the gunshots they run in they take the captain into custody. Which is amazing because in most movies there's a gunshot and nobody comes. This is the first film I've seen in a while where somebody shoots yeah. a gun and there's a cop who, by the way, logically at a waterfront wouldn't necessarily be far away and reacts and investigates instantly. So Right. And there's two wow. of them. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, they take the captain into custody. The next scene is that they're at the police station and then you get a whole confession out of the captain that he was so jealous of these men who were interested in Mora. So he killed them. And then he tried to basically drive her insane by telling her that she was a mermaid or a siren or both or a combination and, may, and trying to keep her off balance so that she would not have an adult sexual relationship with a man. So he he confesses everything, and then Johnny's all like, well, what about the older woman that kept showing up? And then the captain's like, there's no older woman. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So you don't, like, we don't even know. Obviously, Johnny saw her. Mora saw her. I don't know that anyone else saw her. Well, he there's a whole scene where he tries to interrogate uh, Captain British there, and he's so drunk, he, like, fades off and is like, there's nobody here but me. So there's the two, yeah. two times the captain essentially denies. Yeah, deny, denies this this woman. Yeah. Is he lying? He's obviously an unreliable witness and a murderer and a weirdo. So we don't really know whether he's telling the truth. We also don't know how Mora ended up dead. No. That doesn't get explained. Right. And there isn't, I'm trying to remember, there isn't a bullet wound on her, right? Not in her head or anything. You don't see there. anything. Just, it's very dead. brief. You see her body very briefly. So... Yeah, she's just dead. And, you know, I think some people have theorized she must have drowned. Um, you know, he's saying what, like, because they were like, one of the possibilities that he found her body and then right. dressed it up and brought it over. Right. In which case, he's lying about killing her, which almost makes a little more sense, frankly. But 
who knows? Because none of this makes any sense. Um, and the movie wants to have it both ways. It wants to have it open-ended, but frankly, by the admission that the sea witch, again, we're not sure what her real name is because she's not really credited, um, is real, then it, it certainly implies that there's more supernatural here than we're seeing. Right, for sure. Because we don't know how certain things were working here, and then also nothing gets nothing gets tied up. And then the very last scene is the MPs show up to take Johnny off because presumably he's been hanging out there and didn't go back to the Navy after having his weekend off as he should have. So they come and, and, you know, and and it's funny too, because they're all like, we'll, we'll take it from here, you know, type of a thing. And I'm like, well, is there going to be consequences for him? Not only was he not going back to work like he should have, but he was also involved in an incident which they probably don't want any, the Navy probably doesn't want any part of. Yeah. I, I interpret it as that they were there because of the murder, not not just because he was delinquent. Uh, I think that was part of it. But regardless, he, he's, he's in trouble. There's no way he's going back to just like whatever he was doing before. But that's okay because he's got a side girl, Ellen, who was happy to bring him tea and is like, hey, sorry didn't work out the mermaid. But, uh, you know, I'm the daughter of the merry-go-round operator who lives beneath the mermaid's he- apartment. And uh, maybe we could see each other. And he's Yeah, like, so she Great. shows up. She basically yeah. just shows up at the police station. He's getting carted off by the MPs. And it's, it is intimated that they're going to go on to try to see one another and have some kind of a relationship, you know. But, I mean, he's got some fucking explaining to do (laughs) you know to some folks and look i don't know what may have been done but i could see this story you know if we're gonna play if we're gonna play for real real and then this actually like happened right be in the papers it would be big news journalists would be all over this because it is incredibly sensational what happened and i don't think the navy would want him back. I think that he would have, you know, that would be that would be it for him. And what they would do with him, I don't know, honorable, dishonorable discharge, couldn't say. But the two of them, Ellen and Johnny, acting like they're going to pick up where he and Mora left off, you know, is very odd to me. Now, in the original Little Mermaid, the object of the Little Mermaid's affections marries someone else. Yep. And that's why she ends up committing suicide. And (laughs) I saw this. I saw a version of The Little Mermaid because you know how sometimes adults know that something, that kids like something, and then they go to the store and they get tricked. Yeah, that's the grandma grandma gambit. Yes. So, (laughs) So I saw a Hans... Christian Anderson version of The Little Mermaid years ago when I was a babysitter and the kids had the movie, presumably some adult in their life thought it was the Disney version. We're watching this movie and The Little Mermaid essentially stands over, you know, the marriage bed of the object of her affection and his new wife is supposed to kill him, decides not to, and instead kills herself. Like, not really, like, for kids. All right? And I was horrified. Like, I had to do some damage control. 
these poor kids. I was babysitting. So I I was aware of the original fairy tale. And of course, it was changed for the Disneyfied version, which I support. One of my, you know, favorite movies, Little Mermaid. Excellent soundtrack. I can sing the whole thing. Won't do it now. But that idea of Johnny going off with Ellen kind of brings that fairy tale again into the mix in that, you know, you have poor dead Mora <laughs> who ends up with nobody and Johnny gets to go on and have another girlfriend. And it implies that she needed to kill him. That was for some reason that was required and that instead of killing him or because she failed to kill him, she had to sacrifice herself. So if you follow that sort of thread, uh, it puts a little bit more light on how why she's she had died. Either if we follow the mermaid story, then yeah, she had to die so he could live, essentially. So it's a little bit like that. I mean, I don't... Sometimes I think we're giving this movie too much credit. But <laughs> I, I do see the parallels. Ironically, this is never mentioned. I mean, I, I think we have to establish in every review I saw of this movie, nobody mentions Little Mermaid. They mention Annabelle Lee, which is a poem by Edgar Allan Poe um, that is pretty short. And, be, and the re- there's a good reason for that because it's, it's quoted, I think, at the end, right? It's quoted... Yeah about Annabelle Lee. And there are some elements of the poem that you could see apply here. Not a lot, frankly. It's not a particularly deep poem. It's about a woman who dies and how she seems to be claimed by the sea. It rhymes with Annabelle Lee. Um, There is a phrase about neither the angels in heaven above nor the demons down under the sea can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. So there was a little bit of like, you know, okay, maybe there's some demon concept and and they mentioned the moon never beams without bringing me dreams so yeah i see those story beats in nighttime a little bit but i gotta say it's it's like to me that's almost like a red herring it's like like retrofit kind of look maybe i can't speak to what the writer director was trying to do here but it didn't seem to me that he took this poem and wrote a story based on this poem it was almost like it just kind of got shoehorned in there and it's kind of occurring to me now, and I'm wondering a little bit, what is Ellen's role in all of this, right? Mm-hmm. Because Mora ends up dead. We don't really understand how that all went down. Presumably she drowned. But what if Ellen had something to do with it, frankly? Because she found Johnny interesting. Yeah, and she she certainly is sort of the third. There's also, the which we didn't even mention, but there's the, there's the fortune teller, right? So the fortune teller reads his fortune. There's... It seems to be semi-accurate fortune telling, which I thought was interesting using using tarot cards um, and sort of an interpretation of his fate, which tells its own little story. So there's definitely a couple of characters that I think give some direction potentially to whatever the plot is that's supposed to be happening in this movie. I don't know that they get deep enough to give us any direction, but yeah, Ellen is certainly sort of an interesting character because no matter how she spins it, because she says stuff like, I'm just trying to help. It's very clear she's interested in Johnny Drake and she has a motivation for this to go south. Right. So right. is she a murder suspect? I don't know. This is not, this would be more interesting as a clue movie, but we got night tide. So that's what you get. <laughs> the other thing that's interesting is the water witch or the sea witch. I like to call her sea witch actually speaks in Greek. And so she, one of the conversations, one of the encounters with this mystery woman, who, again, if you believe she exists, changed the entire film. So if you don't believe, if you think she's just an actress hired or some rando off the street who's harassing this poor woman, Mora, then 
it doesn't really matter what she has to say. But if you believe that she is, in fact, a supernatural entity and that this is actually somewhat of a horror film, the translation of what she says to Mora is, soon you will encounter your people, my dear. Oh, yes, we will be meeting again very soon. So that's for sure putting a stake in the ground that... <laughs> Not a, not a vampire steak, but putting a, I don't know what the equivalent of a mermaid steak is, a fish in the ground, <laughs> that this is a tale of sirens or mermaids, because the movie's confused as to what it is, being called back into the sea. And if it's, if you follow the Little Mermaid story, that actually makes a lot of sense. Right, right. Or is she being called into a different life because she cannot be around humans she cannot be with men she cannot have a sexual relationship because it will end poorly and so she has to go off and be single with i don't know the sirens or the mermaids or whomever we we generally don't think of mermaids as being they are in some movies and in some depictions most notably i'm thinking of like harry potter where uh, they have sharp teeth and and that kind of a thing. Usually, they're they're depicted more as benevolent, helpful, that type of thing. You know, splash, all, all of that. And, and sirens are supposed to be like bird creatures. The whole yeah, thing they're is not just, supposed to be. There's a lot of mixed metaphors and yeah, confusion I, as to what they I are. Don't know. But the siren concept is valid in the sense that if you take that at face value, they lure men to their death. Right. I mean, right, that's right, right, essentially right. the right. siren piece. Right. But I didn't. I don't, it's not my understanding that mermaids do that. No. Okay. Now, right. well, I mean, look, there's, there's certainly mermaids being luring sailors, but it wasn't the same as a siren, right? Right. Which is right, much right, more right, right. Uh, mythical and and dangerous. So yeah, you're right. I mean, there the, the movie just sort of I think essentially the movie wanted to muddle things intentionally to leave it up in the air, and it, it's interesting because if you don't go too deep, you can sort of walk away from this and be like, oh, they were trying to have it both ways. Like, is it a supernatural or is it a story that that is just about some bizarre british sailor who really wants to possess a, another person um but i think the story is much less interesting if you don't give it the supernatural angle i found out you were here so i came down to see if there was anything i could do for you thank you i'm sorry about more Maybe on your next leave, you'll come by and take a ride on the merry-go-round. I'd like to do that. I'll see you later. Okay. All right, so let's answer the big question. Is it a horror movie or is it something else? Well, we just spent like 45 minutes arguing one way or the other. I think if it's not, this movie super sucks. <laughs> um, so I I'm, I am hopeful that that is the point. Because otherwise, this is about a guy who just kills a person who acted like a mermaid. I don't know. Who's really bad at mermaiding. Is that a, is that a verb? Um, so I, I want it to be a horror movie. I think it's got horror horrific elements in it. So, yeah, I would say, you know, someone dies, sadly, needlessly. There's an attempt on someone's life, and there are at least two dead bodies. So, yeah, that's that's horrific. Yeah, I, w- I would maybe classify it more as a thriller. It's also classified as a romance on 
IMDb. But, you know, it's pretty fucked up. Those people shouldn't date. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's give this movie some ratings. So, between... Zero and five. We haven't given any zeros yet, but we theoretically we could. I'm saving. Uh, Maybe it's it's coming. (laughs) I'm saving my zero, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So between zero and five, we're going to give it knives, glasses of wine, or screams. All right. So let's start with knives. So what was the body count? How scary was the movie? Was it gory? Did it live up to its title? How many knives would you give this, Mike, between zero and five? And five's, like, super bloody. Five's, like, like you know, yeah, like, I don't know. Murder Texas extravaganza. Chain, chainsaw Massacre type oh, movie. that's coming, yeah. No, this isn't a five for sure. So, I, I mean, there's some deaths. Uh, there's an attempted murder. Uh, but it's all pretty bloodless, frankly. And, and yeah. almost all of it happens off screen. Yeah. So, one and a half. Um, I wouldn't certainly go as high as a two. I feel like I want to give it one at least because there's some... There is people who have died, and there's attempts on people's death, uh, on people's lives. So I think it's in the one and a half range. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm going to give it a two. Wow. I think I'm, I think I'm going to give it a two. Generous. It's, um, there was an actual knife that was used <laughs> to try to that, <laughs> cut, <laughs> that cut his hose, and that's the other thing is that the okay the transfer of the version that we saw was not very good. It has been updated. This is my understanding that there is another transfer um that the movie has been cleaned up because if you if you look for stills from the movie or you go on IMDb there's lots of stills there and they're they're very clear. They're they're very nice looking. But the tra- but what we saw it was actually difficult at points to understand what was going on because the movie was so dark and shadowy. And then and also because it was California um, during the summer, no less, it was also at points very bright and sort of oversaturated. So cutting the, cutting the breathing tube was kind of like you sort of figured it out rather than sort of clearly saw that that's what happened. And by the way, supposedly, speaking of stills, there is a scene because there's that that sort of painting or poster of the mermaid that has a hint of what happens. I've looked at that still five times and I can't figure out what's supposed to be. It's, it's a, presumably it's her looking in the mirror and that's supposed to hint at some death or murder. I don't know. I, I after a while I gave up, but supposedly and it, we certainly couldn't see it in, in the version we had. That still of the paint, the mermaid sign is a hint about what happens in the film. I don't know what it is. <laughs> is somebody just fucking with you? Is this, just, I, is this just like... It is the internet. Blo- I, like yeah. Bloody Mary or something like that? Like look in the mirror? And I didn't care see. enough to f- keep looking. So, you know, <laughs> your mileage may vary. You remember those things that people used to send around that they'd be like, watch this for a minute and it would look like a still picture and then all of a sudden it would move and there would be a scream or something? Yes. Oh, it used to piss me off so bad. It was terrible. Okay. But you know what? That would still be more exciting than this film. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've lost years of my life to those things. And um, I don't think I'm on speaking terms with anybody that has ever sent me one. All right. So how many glasses of wine? So was it fun to watch? Did it have any unique moments? Did it have any high notes, low notes? Out of zero to five glasses of wine, how many would you give it? Uh, well, you needed alcohol to get through it. So look, 
I think we've actually had a really good, interesting discussion. I will say that. I think um, there's a lot of nuance to it. I don't know that it was intentional. I think in some ways modern audiences are projecting. It's my opinion. I don't think this was nearly as good a film as people are giving it. I think because it's Dennis Hopper, I think because the film doesn't come down very strongly one way or the other, people project and say it must be all these deeper things that I'm like, "Mm, okay. So I'd give it two. Um, I, I don't love it as I think I've made clear from my comments, but I do think there's some interesting dialogues that come out of watching it. So, uh, you know, it's not that bad, but man, the acting isn't great. The, the, the version we saw was just a problem to see details. And, um, I, that flute music is going to haunt my dreams. (laughs) So, yeah, there's a lot here. I saw a lot of things from a feminist perspective and the director was reportedly queer. So if that in fact was his intent is to include some of those notes in this movie as well, you know, coming to grips with who you are, people wanting you to be something different than what you are, people wanting to control you. So it may speak to people in that in that way as well. I do think that some of it was intentional. I don't know much about the director, but he may have been grappling with some of these things in, in his life. And this is a way to depict them, which was marketable and you could do. In the same way that people used science fiction, it wasn't taken seriously. Horror movies is not taken seriously. Yet you can really go to the depths of sort of the human condition and probe at the at the fringes of society and the people that are living on their own terms and not according to what society dictates that they need to be. So I think some of it may have been intentional. I think also, given that it is a 60-year-old movie, I'm going to have a different perspective on it than the people that wrote and filmed it at the time. You know, and what I'm going to see in it and what it says about womanhood is perhaps not in, in not intended overtly. They didn't decide to do that, but it's how they treated womanhood at that time. And so I'm I'm seeing that and, ta- and taking that from it. So anyway, I don't know. I'm going to give it two and a half. Wow. Okay. I know. Yeah. Maybe I've had too much wine <laughs> yeah. watching the movie and uh <laughs> and now and i'm being i'm being kinder mm-hmm. to it and you know i think i also have to say that you know the characters are the characters and you can be mad at the characters and you can say that they hold abhorrent views or that you think that they're backwards or that they're misogynistic or that they're brutal or you can say whatever about the characters but that doesn't necessarily reflect on the movie and what the movie is trying to say and the cinematography for instance what you know watching some of these movies they you know they're filming it at a carnival and there's a merry-go-round and and you know all of this and then there's underwater scenes and there was i don't know a valiant attempt at a scene <laughs> of being you know strangled suffocated by <laughs> an, octopus by an octopus monster <laughs> you know so like all of that like i appreciate the the art in it and i also know that if we never saw any characters 
that were gross or that held views different than our own. Like that would be really boring. So we have to make space for these characters so that we can understand them. We can understand ourselves. And that's the whole point of, of a movie, you know, frankly, is to come away with, with some kind of a perspective, you know, some kind of a different view about things. I know for, for myself, <laughs> getting this slice of life of what may have been late 50s, early 60s on the coast in California was, was very interesting and how life seemed to be very easy you know, for, for, you know, stuff for like getting murdered, I guess. Yeah. I mean, other than that. <laughs> you know, I mean that you could go to work and, you know, in a mermaid costume and that was your job and it was fine. And, you know, it was just a very different, different view on life. And so I, I appreciate it for that. I guess I'm going first for the overall rating because I'm just going on about this. <laughs> um, but for overall rating, so how do we feel about it? How many screams am I going to give it? I'm going to I'm going to give it two and a half screams. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'll give it two. I you know I I I don't think I've made it a secret. I I did not enjoy the film. Um, I thought there were elements that were interesting. Um, I think to your point, there was probably a lot of effort made to convey certain things. I think, frankly, some of it we're projecting on on a level of nuance either they couldn't convey or maybe they didn't intend. But hey, they're happy to leave it. Part of the, the beauty of art is if you leave it open enough without coming down on one side or the other, then it can be interpreted however you want. Uh, I'm not super thrilled about this attempt to sort of very clearly be like, no, that guy was crazy. I taught, I made Mara think she was a mermaid and ha ha ha, I, I can, you know, stand other men. But by the way, I don't have any explanation for who this other woman was. So um, I, but I think you know what? Can we allow for the possibility, though? Maybe he was lying about the whole thing. Now, I don't know why he would. Maura's dead. He could have just said that she killed everybody. He yeah. could have, He could have said that. And, like, nobody would have been the wiser, right? They didn't know what was going on with these dudes. They just washed up on, on the beach. He could have been like, yep, she was nuts. She killed them. He didn't. He, conf- he confessed. From- and is, it, is that because he actually did kill them? Or is that because he did not want her memory besmirched? Did he yeah. kill her in a fit of pique and lost his mind? And like, we really don't know. There's there there are zero reliable witnesses in this movie. Well, my head canon is that he's covering up for an ancient civilization of sirens that, frankly, are using him as their pawn, um, and that he's got to he's got to keep their secret. So I, you know, to me that makes it actually very interesting. Yeah. So I, I prefer the supernatural angle, but um, the film didn't want to do that. For lots of probably legitimate reasons. So, like I said, it gets it gets two from me. Two screams. Okay. Let's go into the character that you have created based on this movie. I could probably... I don't know. I haven't seen the character. I don't know what it is. But I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess it's a sea witch. Yes. Am I right? Wow, it's like we've been married for a while. Yes, it's the sea it's witch. It's the sea witch. All right, tell me about this character. Who um, is she? So there's a couple of things that you have to story build to make this make sense, right? So one of them is you have to have this siren species, um, which is sort of a merfolk species, but I'm allowing a lot of latitude in this, which is they're merfolk, but they're actually not just merfolk. 
Um, I decided to really embrace the octopus element because I really wanted to use it because you can't have that awesome poster and then not put it into the, to the story. So um, they were actually wear octopi. Well, I don't know what the heck that's called. Wear octopi is the best we can come up with. So they are both merfolk and wear octopi. And they have an issue, which is they cannot reproduce without essentially making more of themselves. So in other words, they have to turn people into wear octopi. I want to say we're octopuses, but we're octopi. They have to turn them in to create more of them. So they they choose certain land dwellers, children, and at, when they turn of a certain age, they then embrace them, and on the full moon, they full become their full where octopi self and enter the ocean and go on to become part of this this sort of ancient civilization of sirens. But they can't always do it, um, partially because there's complications like captain british who essentially is not going to let her return to the sea so we have this scenario where there's a tension where the sea witch's job she's a druid is to bring these sort of wayward souls into the fold and you have all these sort of just land dwelling political at ties that keep people there and so this is a sort of I thought was an interesting this is the story I told in my head that I wish the movie was really about whether or not it really committed to that. I decided it did. So that's how I, I laid it out. OK. Would you say that they're poor, unfortunate souls? <laughs> I, I'm trying not to say anything <laughs> copyrighted. But yes, I would say they were poor, unfortunate souls. Yes, I would. All right. So what are her stats? So not surprisingly, she has to be high in wisdom because she's a druid and she's got some charisma because she's able to sort of convince and, and cajole. Um, you know, I did stay away from the sort of Disney version of the Sea Witch. She's a little bit different. Um, but certainly in the Sea Witch, close. She's close to sort of that same kind of character in the sense that she's a spellcaster who specializes in a couple of things. One of them is lowering people to their doom. Um, she also has the ability to do the call of the sea, and that's a that's a nightmare sending ability um, that ha- gives you dreams, as we saw Johnny Drake have, um, that causes you to sort of not leave the area and be wake up haunted. And and the idea is eventually what happens is once she sort of gets her claws into you, you actually don't leave the ocean. You'll stay there within one mile of the ocean, no matter what. So this is again, sort of like, why didn't people just leave? Well, this is the reason. And she sort of slowly closes the net by really eliminating any ties. So her spells are all around making sure that she can uh, essentially sever those ties. So that's charm spells and other kind of manipulation abilities. Kind of like a cult. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually classify her as a cultist Mm -hmm. um, in that context, because she's essentially making more sirens at the end result. Um, and of course, from a, a playing perspective, you know, what's interesting is if you or someone you care about in the game is one of her targets. Right. Yeah. And of course, you would she would use her spells to separate you from people that you care about or that care about you if those people were there, which right. also means that there would be people who were on the fringes of society that would just disappear perhaps a lot more easily because they don't have close social ties right that's right good so all right it's kind of obvious but where might this character be used 
Yeah, well, obviously near the ocean, um, the idea of any seaside town is is relevant. I think that played qu- pretty nicely into the uh, the theme of the of the movie. But she's really representative of this much larger civilization. So if you go underwater, she's in theory a representative of something else. It's very Lovecraftian. You're talking Deep One kind of thing where there's there's an implied undersea civilization that she represents. So there's two sides of this. One is sort of she's sort of emissary of that. And that's all you see initially. But, you know, knowing adventurers and, and people who are capable with spells and magic, they can go underwater and figure it out themselves. So she's certainly this other element. So she could be underwater is the point uh, as well. And that would be a much more, much broader adventure. But she starts out as sort of the, the intersection of land and sea. Could she be in a lake or a bog or is this like sea? I don't think so. I mean, she's got a fishtail and she turns into an octopus. So unless it's a freshwater octopus, which, you know, why not? Um, but probably more likely large bodies of water, salt water um, and fishing is, is, is likely partially because, again, there's you need a lot of room to do a lot of these things that she wants to do to lure people. I mean, as we saw, you know, people were disappearing and it wasn't like there was an immediate lockdown of the beach. <laughs> so uh, there's definitely uh, a seaside town. It makes is probably where her hunting grounds are. Right, right. And it's also reasonable to think that perhaps people would just turn up missing every totally. so often for, you know, misadventures, let's right. say. All right. And where can people find this character so that they can pull it into their tabletop role-playing games? So the Sea Witch will be on my Patreon uh, for free. We will be releasing one with each podcast, so she will have her own page. And she'll be at patreon.com slash Talion, T-A-L-I-E-N. And we'll offer that to the public, make sure everybody knows about it as it goes live. Um, but we'll have a link as well to uh, directly to it. And we are taking each one of the villains uh, that have debuted in this podcast from these movies, inspired by these movies. And we'll be adding them to something called 5E Foes Gothic Villains, which is compatible with 5E Foes Gothic Adventures. So that sort of sets the framework for this kind of horror movie uh, setting and she fits right in. So uh, she'll be part of that collection as well, which you can get at drive through RPG. All right. And we will put all that information in the show notes as well. And so I think that wraps up episode seven of date night screams night tide with Dennis Hopper. Any final words, Mike? Well, I, I think we have two choices here. We can end on flute music, which I know you can insert, or we can end with that quote, in the, I guess, bathhouse slash massage house of, do you want me to pound you later? <laughs> that was one of the big things that they were saying that, uh, you know, the director may have put in intentionally to speak to his his audience. So, yeah, we could, uh, we maybe I'll do both. Let's see. I'll pound you later, you. everybody. Pound you later. <laughs> All right. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to 50 Date Night Screams. Be sure to check the show notes to learn where you can watch this movie for free. The quality isn't always the best when streaming, so we've also included a link to where you can purchase it. You can also get much more information, including the characters from this and all the 50 Date Night Screams episodes at betrayon.com slash Italian. Until next time, don't stop screaming. 50 Date Night Screams is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. 
It is written, produced, and directed by Amber and Mike Tresca. I'm ready. Okay. Let's do it. Make a pleasant face for starting the video.